Uh, we have had a, a wonderful time as we talked about the power of prayer. We've learned that if you have a little bit of prayer, you have a little bit of power. If you have a lot of prayer, you have a lot of power. If you have no prayer, you have no power. Amen? So I want to dive into this right now. So if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Mike Sainz, the lead pastor here at the harbor, and we're excited to, uh, to be with you today. And let me just tell you, the red book, I believe, is, well, I'm sure, is already gone to print. So you're soon to have the, uh, the full numbers of last year and what all we did. And I want to tell you it was a, an incredible year right down to the very closing moments, uh, just a powerful, record-breaking December. And so we're excited about what God's done, and, and we'll talk more about that. But we talked about the prayer of Jesus. We talked about the prayer of Nehemiah. We talked about the prayer of Jonah and the prayer of Hezekiah. And I have longed to talk with you about today's uh, grand finale, if you will, the prayer of David. Now, the difference is this. With Jonah, we don't have a whole lot to go from. There was only four chapters, and he got himself in a bad predicament. There's not a tremendous amount written, uh, you know, even for Hezekiah in the form of what we were looking for. Um, and when it comes to Nehemiah, you have Nehemiah when he rebuilt the walls. How it, however, when you have David... The book, I mean, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, all of this, I mean, it is just strewn with the, the prayers of David. So which one? <laughs> you know, uh, what am I supposed to highlight to you? And so I'll be honest with you, I grappled with that because David served the Lord from the time he was a young man until the day he died. He had some ups and downs and some ins and outs just like we do. And he had some times where he's on spiritual highs and he had some times when he was at spiritual lows, and I'm so thankful that God did not leave that out. But he let us see him at his best, and he let us see him at his worst. And, um, and it's for our learning. But, but what the Lord has laid on my heart, and I tried to shake it. I tried to go to Psalm 51 and talk about the prayer of repentance. I tried to go to Psalm chapter 3 and talk about a prayer of deliverance. I tried to go to Psalm 86 and, you know, talk about the prayer there. But the Lord just would not let me get away from... Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, let me just read it real quick and then we'll, we'll lay a little background and just dive right off of this diving board and get right on into it, okay? In 2 Samuel 7 and 18, the King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Um, as it were not enough in your sight, as if it were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is, uh, sovereign Lord is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great are you, Sovereign Lord? There, I, I want you to understand that. How, say it with me. How great are you? Uh, how great you are, Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there's no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform a great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt? You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. And you, Lord, 
have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you made concerning your servant and his house. I want you to remember that's going to be real important in a couple hours. No, in just a few minutes. <laughs> Do as you have promised so that, the all, so that, Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you so your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Uh, Lord God Almighty, our Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. Your servant has found courage to pray this prayer. Uh, sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. That is one of the prayers of David. Let me lay a little background. The previous chapter, David had brought the Ark of the Covenant. He, you remember he started out to get it. He left it at Aminadab's house. He tried to bring it from Aminadab's house back to Jerusalem, and God killed Uzzah. If you remember, because the, the, the mule that was pulling the cart that the, the Ark of the Covenant was on stumbled, and Uzzah reached out and touched the the Ark of the Covenant, and God struck him dead. That sounds very harsh, but they knew the instructions. It's not like God needed protecting. It's not like a little fall from three or four foot to the ground was going to hurt him. Heaven's his throne, the earth is his footstool. Wherein can you build even a house to contain him? But David said uh, all of these things, and he says, what is man that he's mindful of us and the son of man that he would visit us. Anyway, David had um, brought the Ark of the Covenant home. Every six steps, they stopped and slaughtered a bull or an ox, and they sacrificed unto the Lord. And, and David, as he come back into the city of Jerusalem, his um, wife, uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, she was up there in the window, and she's looking down, and David has got so in the spirit. I'm talking about he is flat danced now. I'm talking about he has danced to the point He's danced right out of his clothes. He's down to his uh, underwear now, if you will. And man, he is just absolutely going for it, man. He is dancing. And I'm not talking about some vulgar something or other. I'm talking about he is worshiping the God uh, Jehovah. His wife said to him when he got home, she said, Oh, you were so vain today in front of the maidens of Israel. And uh, you really showed yourself, didn't you? And he says, Let me tell you this. I'm going to do one more than that. Uh, you think I was, uh, you know, unabashed today, and you think I really got down today? You wait till you see me next time, I praise God. Now, let me tell you something. There's one little phrase at the last of that. I never even realized this about Michael, but the Bible said from that day till she died, she never bore a child. And uh, anyway, so that's where we're at now. now. Now, David has asked God, since I brought the Ark of the Covenant home, I brought it back to Jerusalem. I purpose in my heart, I want to build a house for God. And God said to him in previous scriptures, he says, listen, listen, I've been roaming through the wilderness. I've been, in, I've been dwelling in tents. They had a tent set up, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And by the way, if you're here and you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant was, it literally symbolized the presence of God in the Old Testament. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that budded, uh, the, the, the rod that they threw on the ground to become a serpent and, uh, and so on and so forth. Aaron's rod that budded. There was um, uh, a pot of manna. Inside that pot was the manna that came down. There was the Ten Commandments. And so th these are great things symbolizing the presence of God. 
So David said, I put in my heart that I want to build you a house. And so now we find ourselves today at this point. And we're talking about prayer, and I think it's hardly necessary for me to say that Christians ought to pray. A Christian that doesn't pray would be like a carpenter without a saw or a square. It would be like a plumber without a wrench or a fireman without a fire hose. You see, uh, I agree with the Scottish preacher Robert McShane when he said, what a man is alone before God on his knees, that he is and no more. The prayer of David that we're going to look at today has a particular significance to us because I want you to understand that this prayer is a three-way dialogue that God is literally speaking and the people involved is the Lord and David and the prophet Nathan. And um, uh, David is eager to build the temple, um, but the Lord has told Nathan to tell David that his son would be the one to build the temple. So in other words, David has prayed a prayer, and he told God, I want to do this, and God said, I'm sorry, you can't do this. Your son's going to build this. He says, moreover, the Lord assures David that the throne and the throne of your son will be established forever. So in response to this news, you know, David prays, and in David's prayer, I want us to note three essential components this morning. There's three components. First of all, we're going to look at David's humble approach to God. Then we're going to look at David's heart felt. See, some people pray with their lips. It's just a perfunctory thing. I mean, they just, it's just words. It's just recitation. There's no, it don't come from their heart. It comes from their head. It comes from their lips. And then we're going to see his heartfelt praise. And then we're going to see David's honorable petition to God. Now, that sounds so simplistic. You say, now, Pastor, I ain't going to be much meat in that. I want you to just hold on for me. Just bear with me for just a moment. And let's take a look right now at David's humble approach. He says this, verse 18 of chapter 7. He says, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? Let me say it's a good thing when we go to God that we go to God in humility. David said, who am I and my house that you've brought me this far? See, he was an accomplished warrior. He was the ruler of Israel. He was wealthy beyond measure. He was certainly a somebody in that time and in that day. Matter of fact, if he were to visit us today, Kingsland, could, we would not have a venue that could house the people that would come to see him. I would submit that Jacksonville or perhaps even Atlanta would not have the, the venue of people or for more than a million people would come to hear him. Even if this was back in his day, people would come from everywhere. It would be like if he come to the arena in Jacksonville, they would shut down the interstate uh, 10 and 95 and uh, all around the whole complex because uh, of making ease for him to travel. And that's the kind of renowned individual that we're talking about. But yet when he approaches God, he says, who am I, God? And who is my house that you've brought me thus far? He was a warrior that had expanded the territories of Israel beyond any before him. He was the hand selected, the apple of God's eye, the one that he was chosen to replace King Saul. And I mean, it was just an incredible, you see, and the context from, you know, what he's praying right here, uh, I want you to understand this, is that grace 
promotes humility. In other words, what he says, it is by the grace of God that I am where I am. That God has afforded me this luxury to lead his people. And uh, in other words, David, because of that, David don't go around puffed up and say, well, my name is King David. You know, we were about to book somebody to come pray. I ain't, ain't going to tell you who it was. But I got so sick, Adam forwarded me the email, and there was a list of demands this long, not to mention it's almost $4,000 just for him to come. Just for him to come. And then have a driver at the airport in an executive car, and in the green room have grapes and three 12-ounce grape juices and three 12-ounce bottles of a certain kind of water. And I sent back and said, no, thank you. You, he can't come if he wants to come free next week. That, it just sickens me to the core. Uh, because when God prospers somebody, all of a sudden they feel like they're the cock of the walk. And as if the whole world owes me something. Let me tell you something. It is God who brought you this far. I hope when the day comes and we top 1,000 and 2,500 or 5,000 that I'll never feel like I can't be approached. Because the day you do is the day you start down that ladder. You see, nobody, I mean, who would have argued if David would have emerged from his house and said, look at me. I'm the king of Israel. I've defeated my enemies, and I'll continue to defeat them. And God has said my throne will never end. These, this was true. God had said that. But David was moved with humility. He didn't feel like he had to bow his chest up and declare who he was. He says, who am I, Lord? You see, friends, grace promotes humility, or it should. And if it don't, guess what? Success will be short-lived. Has grace driven you to your knees? Here's what David said. Rather than getting out pounding his chest, you know what he did after the Lord said his things? He went to his, to his prayer chamber. And he said, who am I, Lord, that you would think about me? Who am I, God, that you would think about me? I, I'm afraid that so many people have got to a point where it's more about look at me. Or even churches, look at us and, and look what we have done. And too often we've worried about promoting our own agenda or our own careers over the will and the heart of God. And you know what God says? I can just tell you to sit down just like I told you to stand up. You see? Uh, they, he reminded David, I brought you out of the sheepfolds. I brought you from, you know, David was a nothing. In fact, the society didn't even like him because he was a shepherd. Even when, when Samuel come to anoint him king, uh, he didn't know who the king was, but God sent him to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. All of, even his daddy didn't put him up in front. Even his daddy didn't put his resume in front of the prophet of the Lord. He looked at uh, Eliab and Amenadab and Shammah and, and the various ones. He said, no, he said, ain't you got any more sons? He said, yeah, I got one more. He's the youngest boy. He's down in the fields. He's, go get him, he said. Send somebody to get him and the rest of y'all get off of your seat and stand up till he gets here. If you only had one more, that's got to be him. 
And when David walked through that door, here's the Old Testament language in the King James. He said, Samuel took a hen of oil. That's a measurement of oil. And as soon as David walked through the door, he dumped it right on his head. And it ran down his head and down his beard. And the Bible said, you see, oil is a representative. It's a symbol of the Spirit of God. And he said, the Spirit of God left King Saul and rested on David from that day forward. Let me say something to you. It was five more years before he was coronated king at Hebron. But for five years he lived knowing God has already said, I'm king. The government hadn't declared it yet. Nobody else has said it yet. But God has already said, I'm king. He didn't pound his chest. But he says, who am I? Who am I that God would select me? Well, let me move on because time will get by. You see, the next component we find in his prayer is heartfelt praise. In, in verses 20 through 24 and 27 through 29, he reminded the Lord. Uh, you see, um, what's this? Be reminded the Lord has told him no. Think about this. He prayed a prayer and said, God, I want to build you a temple. I mean, couldn't he have said, I've been a warrior for you. I brought the Ark of the Covenant home. I've expanded the territory of Israel beyond any before me. I've done all these things. God, don't I deserve to build your temple? But God says, no, it will not be you, your man of blood. It'll be your son, Solomon. Are you with me? And, and you know what David does? David, I mean, the Lord refuses to grant David his request. But this does not quench David's desire to love on God. When is the last time God told you no? And you got up and went to the house of God and said, I love you anyway, oh God. When you sang with the praise team and lifted up the name of the Lord and said, well, I didn't see it this way. I didn't want it this way. But this is God's will for my life and I'm going to do it anyway. God, I wanted that job so bad. I wanted that car. I wanted that house. But nevertheless. So David begins praising God for his character. Thou art great, O Lord, for there is none like you. This is after he's told him, no, there is none like you, O God. There's no God in heaven beside thee. And after praising him for his character, he then begins to praise him for his mighty acts. And he says, thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed for thyself from Egypt, from nations and their gods, for thou hast established for thyself thy people Israel as thine own people for Ever. So he begins to praise God for who he is, and he begins to praise God for what he's done, even when he didn't get what he was praying for. Now, I can't tell you the people I've counseled with that came to church and had to turn over a new leaf because they were in trouble and they needed God to fix it for them. And there's nothing wrong with coming to God if you're in trouble. If you're in trouble today, I'm glad you come to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. But when the wife don't come back, when the kids don't immediately get off drugs, when the job don't come through, when the prayer of your heart don't pan out the way you want it, there are so many people holding up to God and saying, now God, I'm using you to get my way and get my will, and they will not serve him or tithe or anything else until they get it their way. That is poor religion. Matter of fact, all that is is religion. It's not relationship at all. Well, let me move on. See, David is an example of someone who did not waver, he did not vacillate in his affection toward the Lord, even though he didn't get what he was praying for. Lord, I didn't get what I wanted. And let me just say this, that is very rare these days 
for somebody to say, I love the Lord enough that if he don't give me what I want, I will still serve him. I will still be faithful to his church. I will still do what I'm doing in the ministry. And God must have something better in mind because God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purpose. So David is able to avoid this by focusing on the character of God. As Christians, you and I would do well to do the same. You see, I don't mean to be unkind when I say, but far too many Christians have hinged their devotion to God on his willingness to conform to their will. God, if you'll do this my way, I'll serve you. I'll give big money. I'll pay for this trip if you'll do this my way. You see, prayer is not an exercise of wrestling God in order to force him to conform to your will. But hear this, if you hear nothing else, prayer is an exercise of humble submission of God's servants to his will. Prayer is an exercise where we say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. It is an admission that I do not know best for my own life. And I don't know best how to do it, but God, you do. And I am not the boss. I am the servant. And who am I that you have even chose me anyway? Mm -mm -mm. So let me say this. It leads us for a moment from this heartfelt praise now to an honorable petition. So we've seen his humble approach. His heartfelt praise to God, even though he didn't get his way. Whoo, that'll preach. And now, after you've praised God like that, he now just humbly petitions. His original request has been denied. No Cadillac, David. No, it wasn't a Cadillac. David was asking for something nice. I mean, something good. I mean, I thought it was something great that he would ask to build the Lord a house. But God said, no, you can't do it. But after that, he, from his heart, worshiped God. And now he says, okay, Lord, I didn't get what I wanted. You did not allow me to build your house. But you said my son will. So now, therefore, O God, verse 25, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and his household Confirm it just like you spoke. In other words, God, if you want Adam to do it, God, if you want AJ to do it, you want Andrew to do it, if you want somebody else to do it, God, that's great. I'll support you, God, in your decision for me not to be the one. I'll support you in your decision for me not to get my way. Oh, that one rubs a little bit, don't it? You see, here's the thing. When we say, thy will be done, or do as thou hast spoken, the pivotal question is, do you know the will of God? Do you know the will of God? I'll tell you something. The will of God is not something that cannot be understood and cannot be comprehended. A great deal of it is just right here in the word of God. But again, do you know the will of God? How can we pray, thy will be done, if we don't know the will of God? How are we going to put forth an honorable petition before him if we don't know what his word says? Sincere Christians really want the will of God to be done in their life. You see, if we'll pray as David prayed, we're able to offer this honorable petition to God and say, God, grant my son favor then. 
I wanted to do it, Lord, but you got something else in mind, so let me just pray for who. Oh, man, i got to stop and just hang out. I wanted to do that ministry at the church. I was interviewing a ministerial candidate uh, on the board here a while back, and uh, he said to me, he said, well, I was doing a, a ministry at the church. Somebody else came to the church, and the pastor, I guess, felt like they could do it better, so he removed me and put them in place. And uh, I kind of got miffed about it, and I left the church. Well, that turned me off as somebody's about to sign off on credentials for somebody that's... So he went on to say, well, I pastored for three years in another state. And uh, so I said, let me ask you something, uh, sir. When you pastored in that three years in another state, did anybody ever just walk out of your church and never tell you why? Because of the decision you made? Well, yeah. I said, it kind of stings, don't it? That's what you did to the former pastor who felt like somebody else was better suited for a particular job. You owed it to him to talk to him, whether you agreed with him or not. Mm, that'll preach. You owed it to him. So, so anyway, let me, let me try to tie this thing up. We must have a humble approach to God. We don't go to God like a Pharisee all bowed up. We go to God with a humble approach. And then even if we don't get our way, we go to him in heartfelt praise and say, God, I love you anyway. I love you despite the fact I'm not going to get my pink Cadillac. I love you despite the fact I don't get this appointment. I love you, God, despite the fact that I don't get to go here or go there. And then you can say, Lord, let me just take a moment and pray for that person you sent that got the job that I didn't. I had to just walk around the podium for a minute right there. Let, let me just go ahead and pray for that person that's doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Let me tell you something. When you've got that kind of attitude, God will stir something up in you. And he will cause something to be birthed in you. Well, listen, you will never know how to run it all and be it all and do it all until you've learned to support somebody else's vision. Yeah. Wow. So, oh Lord, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. See, prayer's got to come from the heart. So many times it's just from the lips. It's just a liturg liturgical routine. It's not an engagement. It's just an engagement with our mind, but not our heart. See, David said, don't let your prayer be mechanical. Don't let it be something that's just a recitation that you learned. But let it be from your heart. Man, there's a difference. I prayed when I just prayed things I heard and things I had written. But then I remember when I prayed when it just groans, just come from deep within inside, and I didn't really have the words. And you sometimes you just, oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Did you know God understands those groans? He understands those tears. David was a man of prayer. I don't think that David ever got over coming in smelly and stinky from looking after the sheep, wondering why Samuel or this mule that ain't normally here was at the house, hearing the commotion and walking in and seeing all of his brothers standing up and his daddy standing up. And he'll never forget the oil bath. It's almost like 
Nick Saban got on the national championship. It was Gatorade, but for David, it was oil. And he, can't, he just can't never forget the moving power of God that come upon him. And all his life, he was a man of prayer. He sat in the Judean hills and said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not walk. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff that comfort me. Thou anointest my head. Uh, you know, he said, well, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever when he would sit in the hills and say thou art my hiding place you are the high and mighty tower that I run to you are the pavilion that I go to David would cry out to the Lord he never could quite get over the spirit of the Lord coming upon him I want to tell you something. Why David was such a man of prayer when he found King Saul who had tried on three or four occasions to kill him. There he was asleep right there. And, and his commander told him, kill him. God has given him to you. And he said, I will not lay my hands on God's anointed. He wasn't, he wasn't even anointed anymore. But David said he was the anointed of the Lord. And so David said, don't touch him, but go over there and cut a little corner of his skirt off. And we'll go on the other side of the hill, the valley between us, and we'll hold it and say, I could have killed you if I wanted to. What do you mean you could have killed me? He said, look at your skirt. Here's a square that I had Abner cut off, or Joab had him cut it off of you. I could have killed you, but I had so much respect for those who had been anointed of the Lord. I wouldn't do it. And then David said, my heart smote me because I cut his clothes. A man of prayer. A man that loved God and wanted God's will more than he wanted his own way. He had seen those who had put their trust in chariots and men. He had witnessed those who had bowed to the Baals. He had seen the demise of those who hoped in false gods that was not gods at all. He had seen the dangers of going it without God. He said, I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. He said in another place, I could run through a troop and I could leap over a wall. Why? David went on to say, I encouraged myself in the Lord. When everybody else gave up on me and when everybody else quit on me, I called on God. I, I, I can't help. I know time is gone. Stand with me. But let me say this. David, even when he sinned, he'd done some terrible things. You know what he did. He slept with Bathsheba. I wish I had time to tell you about it. He had her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed in the battlefield. And the angel of the Lord smote that child, and it got sick. It only lived a week. The day it was born, seven days later it was dead. When that baby was born, Nathan the prophet had already come to David and said, You are the man. You have taken Uriah's wife. You had plenty. You could have had any. God took you and gave you everything. Now look what you have done. 
David sat in sackcloth and cried. He wrote Psalm 51. If you want to find the greatest repentance prayer, read Psalm 51. I don't have time to tell you right now, but read Psalm 51. But that child fell sick and was dying. David's lieutenants looked at themselves and said, what are we going to do? How? I mean, David is so beside himself. Well, what are we going to do if the kid dies? And then David looked up and he saw the look on their face and he said, he's gone, ain't he? They said, yep. He's gone. David got off the floor. He went to his shower. He washed himself. And he went straightway to the house of God. And he laid out before the Lord. And they said, Master, we don't understand you. While he lived and there was hope, you wept and you cried. And now he's dead. And you, you, you got up and you went to the house of God and worshiped and praised God. David said this, I am not God, and I cannot bring him back to me, but I shall live in such a way, I'll go where he is. Hey! Prayer never failed him. In his darkest hour, he said, I'll encourage myself in the Lord. Prayer never failed him. And it'll never fail you either. Father, right now, Lord, as we close with this prayer of David, there were so many of them. But he was a man of prayer that approached you in humility. He approached you with a heartfelt praise and adoration. He approached you with a petition. Oh, God. May your people today understand this one thing if they understand nothing else. I gave them two prayers that David prayed and he did not get his way. He did not get to build the temple and his son did not come back to life. But nonetheless, he said, I will serve God. I will love him anyway. We need people that will love him anyway. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, Pray for me. I want to pray like David prayed. Can I see your hand right now? I want to pray like David prayed. I, I might be so spoiled that I think i got to have it my way. But listen, that's the way to live. When you don't get what you want, you pray, Thy will be done. I'm not here to convince you to do it my way. I'm here for you to form me to your will. In the name of Jesus. Oh, God, go through this congregation and have your way, I pray. In the name of Jesus, if there's one, Lord, that don't know you, may they commit their heart right now. If there's one that is backslidden, God, may they say, I want Jesus to come into my heart right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated for just a moment.